Welcome to episode three of Solved, the D.B. Cooper Hijacking. This podcast is brought to you by Principia Media, whose groundbreaking four-part documentary, D.B. Cooper, The Real Story, is available on iTunes, Amazon Prime Video, Google Play, and Vimeo. For more information, go to therealdbcooper.com. I'm your host, Dave Parsons. In our last episode, we learned the reasons why Walter Recca hijacked Flight 305 on November 24, 1971, as well as what he did in the days prior to the hijacking. We begin this episode with Walter Recca boarding the Boeing 727 and handing a hijacking note to the flight attendant, Flo Schaffner. During this podcast, we will rely almost exclusively on the 2008 taped conversation between Walter Recca, the hijacker, and Carl Lauren, the friend. Here, Carl asked Walt to explain how he handed the note to the flight attendant who at first ignored it. So you did hand her, hand her the note, and, uh, and, and she kind of, she was busy and doing other things, and she kind of put it in her pocket like, and and then when she um, came back, came back, she was, yeah, after the airplane actually took off, uh, she came back to you, and, and that's when she said, I can't believe you're actually hijacking this airplane. And I says, I can't believe it either, but I'm serious. Then do you remember what she said? She stared at me for a little while. <laughs> I would imagine <laughs> That's what I'd have done too. <laughs> yeah. And 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 then did did you tell her anything like, well, take this note up to the captain or anything? I told her that about three times. You told her to take the note up to the captain. Yeah. And what did she? She was just staring at me. Okay. So, but finally she did though. At this point, Walt opens his briefcase, exposing the bomb. Okay. At what point? Did you open the briefcase and show her the dynamite? Well, she wasn't paying no attention to me. Okay, she right there at me. Right then and there, and then that's when she actually. And then she figured it was all the truth, you know. Yeah. Okay, so. She, I mean, she just. She was as scared as I was. I think she was petrified, and so was I. Okay. We both looked at each other. <laughs> It doesn't happen every day, you know. Yeah, yeah. it is sort of an unusual event. Yeah, right. I'd, I'd say so. <laughs> really unusual. Yeah. Carl asked Walt what he remembers about what came next. Okay, so she goes up and she tells the captain, and then do you remember anything about what happened after that at all? Uh, I was smoking a lot of cigarettes. Yeah. Now I got another drink. Right. What? Do you remember what you were drinking, by the way? I wouldn't. But you were drinking drinks. You weren't drinking beer. I know that. But you were drinking. Yeah, I was drinking liquor. Yeah. And, uh, uh what do you use? What do you, you, I know you don't. Got your water or something. I don't, I don't, I'm not a liquor drinker, but I was I know. drinking liquor. Yeah. Um. Okay, so you're you're ordering you know the liquor type stuff, and so that that had to kind of a putting you back on your heels a little bit, you know, because you're not a liquor drinker. Yeah. Um, okay. It 
down any though, Charlie. Here, Walt talks about his feelings as the events of the hijacking began taking shape. I was too scared to, to, to get, you know. You practically didn't know you were drinking, in fact. No, I, I mean, it was, uh, uh, I was so scared it was false security. You know, it was like a baby takes a security blanket. Yeah. Right there, that was my security blanket, but it didn't do any good. I didn't feel very f***ing secure. But, but you'd already started it by now, the, yeah. the process. At this point, Walt gives the flight attendant instructions for her to pass on to the captain. Anything, since we've talked, on how you told them to get the parachutes and the money, uh, you wanted the, the money in $20 bills and, and whatnot. Used. Used $20 bills. Oh, you wanted, you wanted all used ones? Yeah. Okay. I didn't get all used ones, but I got uh, a lot of them were used. Nobody from the cockpit had ever come out of the cockpit, other, other than the stewardesses going in and out. None of, the, none of the men, you never seen any of the pilots or co-pilots or anything like that. I'm quite sure they were peeking out, you know, I mean, but I... Yeah, well, they, they might have been, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, where did you carry your note? In your suit pocket or...? Inside pocket of the suit. Inside pocket of the suit. Yeah. Uh, now... When you gave that note to the stewardess, that was Schaffner was her name, was that the hardest thing that you had done so far? Because that starts the whole thing. That, that committed me. Yeah, right. In other words, uh, that, yeah, you know, you were always saying, well, I could back out now, but by the time that uh, you did that, or, or when you did it, backing out was getting a little bit late right then. Bill, what, what was going through my mind all this time? Right there, smoking cigarettes, uh, scribbling on a napkin, and uh, if I get killed, am I going to go to hell? See, at this time, it's a time of extreme excitement. Oh, I know. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, not only am I dealing with somebody, you know, that divorced himself from the original personality right there, it, it's an extreme excitement, you know, like... Uh, Oh, I understand. It just like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. As the flight continues to Seattle, Walt talks about the way he chose to communicate with the cockpit. You never talked personally, you said, to the cockpit crew. No, I talked to the uh, stewardess, and the stewardess relayed the message to the cockpit. And, and they were always verbal. Uh, they verbal. were. Nothing was written. Okay, but one time you said that you wrote something on a, on a napkin. I scribble when I'm nervous. Oh, okay, but I mean, was it, you were just scribbling on a napkin, but was it actually about the hijacking, or you were just... Nothing, just scribbling. Oh, you were just doodling on the napkin. Yeah. Okay. So, you don't even know what it was. No. Okay. How did you order the parachutes? Did you say, I want four parachutes, or did you order two reserves and two backpacks? Two reserves and two backpacks. Had you already told them by this time that you got to go to Mexico? Uh, I don't remember, but it come up somewhere in the conversation. As the plane gets ready to land in Seattle, the weather becomes a concern due to cold temperatures and rainy, windy conditions. So you ride the airplane on up to Seattle, and you can see the weather outside, and you can see it's pretty bad. You can anticipate that it's pretty bad, but when you're numb in the head from fear, 
to notice the weather, the clouds, uh, you know. When you got to SeaTac, did you tell them to circle until they got the stuff ready? Yeah. While the plane circles the airport, Walter's demands are met, and it is cleared for landing in Seattle. Once on the ground, the plane is diverted to a remote location on the airfield for refueling and to maintain safety due to the potential of the bomb detonating. When the money and parachutes arrive at the plane, the passengers are released along with two of the three flight attendants. Because Flo Schaffner seemed nervous about staying on board, it was decided that Tina Mucklow, one of the other flight attendants, would stay aboard the plane. Did the stewardesses ever look scared to you? No, they were well composed. I think it surprised them as much as it did me. Once the plane landed, were they just free to open the door? They were looking at me and asking me. You mean the stewardesses were? Yeah. What to do? I didn't know what to do. I said, do what you normally do when you got all these people here, you know. So you were holding these people for ransom, though, until you got the money. Yeah. So the door must have stayed shut. Yeah, nobody jumped off right away. So how long do you think it was before the airplane took off? I have no idea right there. If it was five minutes or uh, seven hours or three weeks right there, it wasn't in me to be thinking at this time. I had to freeze emotional thoughts. What was going through my mind all this time right there is smoking cigarettes, uh, scribbling on a napkin, and uh, if I get killed, am I going to go to hell? Do you ever remember taking your sunglasses off in the airplane? I remember, but I probably did to wipe my eyes. You know, I always do that. And also, I didn't want too many lights on in the plane. Didn't want no snipers coming in, you know. How did you actually get the money? They brought it to the front right there, and then I got it. It was brought back to me. Okay, and who brought it back to you? One of the ladies, the stewardess. Now, at some point, you start examining the parachutes or the money or something. Did you even open the bag and look in to see if there was money in it? Yeah. It's getting to where it's time to go, and you tell the stewardesses that uh, you tell them what? Tell them we're going to Reno. And what altitude to fly? Well, but I mean, the people got off. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Right. Did you make kind of an issue out of that? No, I was asked, can they get off? And you said yes. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. During this time... Walt gives instructions about how he wants the airplane to be flown during the flight to Mexico. That created a problem because, due to the configuration Walter demanded that the plane be flown flaps down, speed under 200 miles per hour, and at a maximum altitude of 10,000 feet, the plane would need a refueling stop prior to arriving in Mexico. It was decided to stop for fuel in Reno, Nevada, which was agreeable to Walt. And you give him instructions for... How high and other things, right? Yeah. How did you do that? I asked how slow can you fly this? What stall speed? You know, want to go above that. In fact, Walter knew from the outset that he would be exiting the plane as soon as it cleared the Seattle airspace. Otherwise, it would be more difficult for Walt to find his way back to Heartline where he was living at the time. Shortly after takeoff, Walt determined that it would be best to exit the plane through the rear door rather than the side door, as Walt was used to doing while in the military. Walter claimed that he was unaware that the Boeing 727, which has a rear door, would be the plane he would be taking out of Portland that day. 
And even though Walt had entered the plane through the rear door, it wasn't until he noticed the sign with instructions for opening the door that he realized the rear door would open during flight. Just after takeoff from Seattle, Walt ordered Tina Mucklow to join the crew in the cockpit. At that point, he attached the bank bag to himself, which he cinched into his raincoat using the shroud lines from the other parachute. Once he was ready, he opened the rear door, stood there a moment to assess the situation, and jumped. In our next podcast, we tell where Walter landed, along with the eyewitness who interacted with him on the night of the hijacking. This man comes walking in. He looked like a drowned rat. He had black slick back hair, had on a black suit, a white shirt, penny loafers, soaking wet, and had his trench coat rolled up under his arm. I thought, man, I guess it takes all kinds to make this world go round. End of episode three of Solved, the D.B. Cooper hijacking. For more information, go to our Facebook page, The Real D.B. Cooper, and like our page. On that page, you will find out more about the story of Walter Recca, the man who became D.B. Cooper.